Hey, gang, what's going on? Thanks for joining me on this episode of the Dealer Playbook Podcast. I, of course, am your host, Michael Cirillo. And, oh, man, is this a doozy of an episode. You know, every now and again, I, I, I am privileged to sit down with somebody who, you know, previous to booking and researching guests, I, I had never heard of. And, and, you know, and I don't mean that in a demeaning way. I just certainly had never heard of my guest today. But I'm going to tell you this right now. Dr. Nathan Mellor and his organization are clearly positioned in the center of my radar as someone who I am going to be following and learning from. With an empty cup, I approached this conversation. And I got to tell you, I, I am so grateful for the stories, the anecdotes, the, the theory, the practicality of what you're about to hear because my cup was certainly filled today. Make sure you stay tuned right through to the end and man get ready to take some notes okay i'm really looking forward to this and i mean the dpb gang knows anytime somebody joins me who is on a mission to help others see the world around them differently to perhaps take advantage of what's maybe been sitting right in front of them or help them realize that they deserve to explore those crazy ideas in the big, beautiful brain of theirs. Uh, it gets me excited. And so to kind of kick this off, um, you know, I really appreciate you joining me, but I want to just, I want to, I want to ask you, how did you get into what you're doing now with all of this executive coaching and I mean, TEDx speaker and, you know, all the author and you've traveled the world. How did that all come about for you? You know, for me, it, it began uh, watching my, my dad, really. He was a, a high school football coach. And it was an amazing thing to grow up in a home like that one where dad was a, a coach and a teacher and an influencer. Because it was pretty early on in life that you, you realized that you could only be successful as a coach if someone else were succeeding. And the same in leadership of you, you can't be a successful leader if the people you're leading aren't successful. And I would watch my dad at practice be as excited and enthusiastic about uh, the success of someone on the field as he would have been on any Friday night. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, that's the way to do this. Of If you invest your life into other people's lives, not only do you get the joy of seeing them thrive, you also... Uh, get to thrive too. And so it's been a passion of mine for, uh, really throughout life. And I'm very thankful to be able to do what I get to do now. And, and so this just kind of naturally, you, you said, man, this is my mission. And, and here we go and giddy up. I mean, you, you've had quite a, uh, an impressive career up to this point, but now serving, uh, and forgive me, is it strata, strata mm -hmm. leadership, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. And so you spend your time going around the country, around the world. Um, I love what your website says as the sounding board uh, <laughs> or a consultant or, or mm -hmm. these sorts of things to executive um, leaders all over the world. So let me ask you this. From your vantage point, what's some of the common challenges that you see are facing organizations from a leadership perspective? You, you know, one of the, the key challenges for executives is maintaining a growth mindset. And that growth mindset says, I'm going to be 
a learner. I'm not going to plateau uh, versus the fixed mindset, which is someone who just relies on talent alone and, and, and believes they have to be the smartest person in the room. Mm-hmm. And I was at a, a program a, a few years ago, maybe three years ago, and it was in the summertime in Oklahoma uh, at a retreat center that was uh, privately held. And we had about 30 key executives who were coming from Oklahoma City down to this small town in Tishomingo, Oklahoma, which is in that prairie uh, part of Oklahoma with the prairie grass. And then along those um, uh, pastures, there are the granite outcroppings and just a beautiful area. Right. And 29 of the 30 executives were there and then one was running late. And the person who was leading the program said, the last one's on her way. She made the wrong turn and will be here uh, shortly. And so we're standing out on the front porch of this house where everybody's just kind of um, getting to know each other and trying to relax. And I see this dust cloud forming in the sky uh, because of this woman who is driving down this dirt road at an amazing speed. And I thought to myself, this woman has either grown up on a dirt road or she's never been on a dirt road because she is moving. <laughs> so she comes up, drives it's about a mile from the front entrance to where we are. And she comes up right by the house and stops after coming full speed down this uh, road. And all the dust just coats everybody sitting on the front porch. And then she waits to get out of the car until the cloud passes by which made me think she's definitely uh, someone who lived in the country. Right. So she gets out of the car and she's an older woman and people are greeting her and I don't know who she is. And I'm really stuck on the car because at first I didn't recognize what it was and it seemed like a, a Mercedes, but it was a bit larger than a Mercedes. So I'm looking at the car while they're greeting her and then the badging gives it away. And this is a Maybach. And so, you know, Maybox, mm-hmm. this ultra rare handmade right. V12 car. And I'm looking at this one that is now covered in dust and dirt. And I'm thinking this is the only one that's ever been off-roading, this one right here. Yep. And I'm thinking, who drives a Maybach to a retreat out here in the country? And so we get into the next uh, room and we all sit down and everyone's introducing themselves. And it's her turn to introduce herself. And she stands up and she says, um, my name is Mo. And she said, and I'm 79 years old and I turn 80 in three months and I cannot wait. (laughs) She said, my 70s were my best decade and I cannot wait to see what's going to happen in my 80s. (laughs) So I'm listening to this person. I think, who is this? And then she says something that you never hear people say. She stands up and, and she's still standing there and she says, Uh, And I'm rich. (laughs) She said, I've got a lot of money. And then she stops and makes eye contact. And she said, and my goal is to give it away well. And I'm thinking again, who is this person? And she's about to sit down and forgot to tell us, you know, where she worked and everything else. And she remembers right as she's about to sit down, she stands back up and she says, uh, oh, yeah. She said, my name is Mo Anderson. I'm the vice chair, co-owner of Keller Williams Realty, who at the time had 140,000 employees and who now has 180,000 employees. Wow. And I think to myself, who is this woman at 79 years of age? She turns 80 in three months and she's at a leadership development program 
learning how to be more effective. And I look at her and, and, and then we have become friends and she just got back from France last week. She's now 83 or 84, running full speed. And I think to myself, what is it about some people that allows them to not plateau and to speed up through life versus being ground down into dust in life? Mm. And so I, I've been watching executives. I've worked with a, a large number of executives, and I'm always privileged to do that. But what I find is that the people who thrive in life are the people who choose to live their own life. And they make that decision that they're going to be the CEO of their life. Because there are a number of people who will tell you what kind of life you're supposed to have. But ultimately, success is about you deciding who you want to be and then charting a course that allows you to become that. I love so many things about this story. Um, I mean, starting with the idea of continuing education and the importance of continually adding upon yourself. When people, when people stop, like what, what you had said about fixed mindset, mm -hmm. to it, like what an oxymoron to consider yourself as the smartest individual in the room when scientists are out there making new discoveries every single day about information they didn't even know existed so how how could it be how is it even conceivable i'm starting to turn into that movie the princess bride inconceivable you know like right how mm -hmm. how how is it even conceivable that you're the smartest individual in the room and uh, when when we're making such new discoveries and the second thing i love about this is um that the value in life that Mo, from what I'm picking up on, her her greatest asset in life was is probably her brain. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, she drives a Maybach. Yeah, I'm rich. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I got this big company. But just the way she's speeding down this this dirt road in a Maybach, right, demonstrates where she actually puts the value. Mm -hmm. And and then I think the third thing that I love about this is exactly what you just said kind of the crux of this is that people who thrive in life choose to live life on their terms like it's shocking to me how many people wonder man how do i get ahead in my life or mm -hmm. you know how come i didn't get that promotion and how come i can't be the manager now and all these sorts of things that they think about when they're they're still struggling to lead themselves like you said to be the ceo sure. of their own life well, well the, the person behind a lot of the research on this is a woman named Dr. Carol Dweck, D-W-E-C-K, and she's at Stanford University. And what, what you find is that people go down the path of a fixed mindset with really good intentions. And so let's say your, your kid comes in and they've made a hundred on the spelling test. And, and here they come, they've got the paper and they made a hundred and there's a smiley face on it and there's an A on it. And then... You as a parent, you say, congratulations, that's incredible. And then you say this, you are so smart. And right. what happens is that we start then working with the currency of smart. Mm. And so uh, I've been rewarded for being smart. And so I don't want to put myself in a situation where I don't look smart. So what happens as a leader is that the farther you go down the line, you are wanting to show people that you know what you're doing. And consequently, what can happen is that you uh, stop trying to learn new things because you don't want to put yourself in an uncomfortable position 
because you can't afford to not look smart. Right. The difference of that, that's called a culture of genius. We have a general manager who just knows everything is kind of the idea. That's the culture of genius versus the culture of development. And the culture of development is this is a learning process. And the pathway to success is through uh, effort. It is through hard work and it is through learning, which requires being uncomfortable from time to time. And so when I look at people who thrive, l- let's look at sales. You have somebody who is great at sales just because they have the talent of connecting with people, et cetera, et cetera. But they might have the talent to be able to make the connection on a personal level, but they lack the discipline to do the paperwork well. Right. So they think to themselves, well, I'm just not good at paperwork. That's a fixed mindset. You have determined already what you can and cannot do versus saying what the growth mindset is about, which would say this, I'm not good at paperwork yet, or I'm not good at building those relationships yet. I'm not good at whatever it is. And then you put the word on the end of that yet, because the reality is your brain is much, much more flexible, much more plastic than you you might give it credit. And that idea of neuroplasticity is the idea that your brain is not rigid or fixed. So if you're wanting to change how your brain works, you can do that. So if you said uh, maybe in high school, I'm just not a math person, or you said uh, maybe I'm not a languages person or an art person, it's with the idea that somehow some people have a brain that works that way and your brain doesn't work that way. Right. And the reality is your brain is neutral to what you're learning. It is really about what is being rewarded. So what you'll see in people who thrive is that they don't just reward the outcome, they reward the process and the outcome. And it's that very simple idea of be very careful what you reward, because what you reward, you'll get more of. I was hired by a group uh, a while ago who um, have very well-paid people in their company. And they brought them in and they said, if you do these things, you'll make this kind of money. And they did. And, and sure enough, it, they started making within about a 24-month period, they were making six figures. Uh, almost everyone there was, was doing well. And the problem was they came to me and they said, um, we used money as the motivator. And now that they're making money, it's really tough to keep them motivated. And it's that idea, the same idea of be careful what you reward, because what you win people with is what you win them to. And so if the only thing that is um, that I can offer someone is just more money, eventually you, you start making enough money where you think, you know, I'm not that much happier and maybe I'm not happier at all. And so that right. lure of one thing is not enough. And, and so at that point, people decide what kind of life do I really want to have versus what kind of life does other, do other people want me to have? What do you find? Because I love this, and I'm ferociously taking notes. <laughs> Good. Um, where where does one start in overcoming a fixed mindset? I think the first thing is to be aware of what it is that it was well intentioned, that it was an effort just to make it. You're doing the best that you can, and then to recognize that the power of the brain is is significant 
the, the typical person, your, your brain takes up maybe 3% of your overall body weight, but it will take up 15 to 20% of the energy that you use. And so the brain is always looking for ways to be more efficient, to not waste energy. And so we get into these habit loops, this mental model, and we all use mental models to be able to make sense of the world around us. But sometimes what can happen is that the mental model that we've adopted was wrong. But we uh, don't want to spend the time to ask the question, is the way I'm looking at the world accurate or not? And so, for example, when you, when you are growing up, you have these life experiences. And depending upon where you grew up and how you grew up, there might be different expectations placed on you. In our family, for example, I remember um, <laughs> uh, school was important, but it was more important to be a good kid than to make good grades. Right. My dad had struggled with grades. And so when my brother and I came through school, um, he just anticipated we would struggle too. So in the ninth grade, uh, I failed two classes, English and pre-algebra. And, and I say this because um, it led to the only discussion we ever had about grades in my life that I can recall. So dad comes home, he works at the school, he has the report cards in his hand. Right. He comes home and he, uh, he as a football coach, he had that raspy voice. He <laughs> is, is uh, projects loudly. He's a big guy. And he walked into the house and he said, uh, boys, uh, get in here. And, and I, I joke because there was never that phrase, boys, get in here for me and my brother. And then it was some happy thing of like, <laughs> right. you know, we got you a puppy or, you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, it was going to be something serious. And so he went yep. into the living room and dad said, sit down. And so my brother's at one end of the couch. I'm at the other end of the couch. And my dad is clearly struggling with what to say. And he says uh, to us, he says, uh, boys, let me tell you about these grades. And he looks at us and he says, uh, C's are better than D's. So try to get C's. And then he reached out and gave, gave us a high five each, <laughs> me and then my brother, which sent a message to us that in, in our family, if you could make a C, if you had an average grade, um, great. And if you made a D, well, you need to do better than that. And if you got a B, that would be surprising. And if you got an A, <laughs> that would cause suspicion. <laughs> and all that was because my dad had grown up believing that he was dumb. Mm. Now I'll go back to the core of that in here in a minute, but what he would say as our family motto, dad would say this to us. He would say, uh, boys, let me tell you what it means to be a Meller. And that's my last name, which is spelled a little bit different. It's M E L L O R. And so he says, let me tell you what it means to be a Meller. And he said, we are tough, not smart. And that was it. Like there wasn't another redeeming part of it. It was, <laughs> uh, and, and you better be tough if you're not smart. So our identity was, since we're not smart, you better be tough. And so that's how we approached life. Now, it was years later that some of that was confronted. For me, I ended up graduating from high school. I had been a, a good high school football player, been an all-state football player, and was given the opportunity to play football in college. Got to college and realized I was a good high school football player. <laughs> so I got to watch a lot of games really close to the sidelines while everybody else was uh, playing. But right. I, I get 
to college and I'm just doing the best I can. When I graduated from high school, the principal shook my hand and said, so what are you going to do next? And I said, I'm thinking about going to college. And his response was this, and I quote, he said, really? Wow. He said, do you think you're smart enough to do that? And I was not offended because I was wondering the same thing. So I get to college and I'm just trying to get through. I made all C's. And then I would struggle, get through each class and I was struggling. And then I walked into a class one afternoon. It was a Tuesday afternoon. And I walked into that class and I was looking for a place to sit. And I would typically go about two thirds of the way back over on the left hand side Mm -hmm. to kind of get lost in the shuffle. Sure. You don't want to sit in the back row because that's asking for trouble. And you don't want to be on the front two rows because that's in the line of fire. And I'm walking to that seat. And the professor who's in the front of the class, her name was Dr. D. Carson. Dr. Carson points at me. And she is tracing where I am walking with her finger. And she said this. She says, Nathan Meller, I know who you are. Come here. And I walked up to the front of the, the class. This is before class started. And there's a little table in between the two of us, and she has her finger in my face. This woman had been teaching twice as long as I had been alive. And she puts her finger in my face, and she said this. She said, Nathan Meller, I know who you are. I think you are gifted and do not know it. Mm. She said, I expect you to make an A in this class, and this class is not easy. Sit there. And she pointed Mm. to a seat in the front row. And I had never heard anyone say anything like that in my life. Now, what happens in someone's life is that there is a moment in which they are awakened. They are awakened to the possibility that the mindset that they have had may not be accurate or it no longer fits. Maybe it had been accurate at one point. Maybe at one point in life, you didn't pay attention. Maybe at one point in life, you, you, you were impatient and you lost your temper. And maybe at one point in life, you were all these other things. But now, you are no longer that person. You, you have been awakened to the possibility that there is something else offered. Right. And I, and I sat there in that class right then, confused, and thought to myself, what, what if she's right? And so, I believe that your entire life can be changed in a single conversation because I've experienced it. But just because you change your mind doesn't mean that, uh, change your direction, that doesn't mean that you can just pivot on a dime. It takes time. I had to learn how to take notes. I had to learn how to study. I had to learn that there was a pathway. But by changing my identity, by challenging what I believe, she opens something up. So at the core of this, there has to be an awakening moment, A. But B, if I want to change what somebody does, I have to challenge what they believe because our actions are always connected to our beliefs. And so if someone's out there saying, you know, I can't sell, if someone's out there saying, I I just can't, those are beliefs Mm -hmm. and, and those beliefs are not rigid. So when I sit down and say, why do you work? 
Well, at 20, 21, you're working for one reason. Maybe right. at 31, another one. At 41, another one. But it's appropriate to ask the question again, because I don't want someone to be successful uh, in life in the sense of they have the trappings of success and not like who they're becoming along the way. What's the point? Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I, I love what this teacher said to you. I think you are gifted and you do not know it yet. Mm -hmm. Because she's stating the truth. She's stating the truth based on the potential of the, like like what you've said this this um this truth that the brain is neutral mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. so to say you're gifted is is actually truth because it's based on the premise of the fact that you can you can be taught mm -hmm. um and it's also the truth that you haven't recognized it in yourself yet but that doesn't mean you're not smart it doesn't mean you're not whatever like how can I give such a definitive yeah you know, title or, or outcome to something that I haven't even explored yet. Perfect. And what you said is perfect because you may not have explored it yet, or maybe you explored it at the wrong time. You weren't ready. Hmm. Yeah. But if I'm talking to someone and they don't like the way that their life is going, they are not, they are not trapped, but they have to take control of it. That they have to say, uh, this is my life, and I'm choosing a different path. And it may take me uh, a long time even to get where I want to go, but I am not going to live someone else's life. I'm, I'm going to be purposeful in how I do life. Love it. I had an experience just the other day. Um, so I'm putting, putting a, a new program together, and I was sitting with one of my designers, and I said, hey. I've got an idea. We need to pump out some graphics for this program. Let's start with the logo. We just need to freshen up the, okay, yeah. So yeah, we could probably have this done by the end of the week. I said, I bet you we can have it done in the next 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. And, and at first he, he went, ah, well, mm -hmm. so, but is that really going to fit with your brand? And I mean, your brand is, blah, blah. and, and I said, man, I bet you we could get this done in 30 minutes. In 30 minutes, I'm going to be publishing whatever it is that, that we designed. Mm -hmm. So what happened? He went back into his office. I went into my office. We both opened Photoshop. We started, I started tinkering around. I knew I wasn't going to come up with anything. Mm -hmm. I'm not kidding you. He came in 12, 13 minutes later and he goes, what do you think of this? And I said, yeah. that <laughs> is brilliant. And, and that's yeah. what we roll with. Love now it. this morning. I show it to I, I show it to a group of people, and they go, "What? We were just talking about this yesterday. How did you execute so fast?" And mm -hmm. I said, "I didn't execute. Th this designer of mine, he executed. Mm -hmm. He and and so when he showed it to me, the, my immediate response to him was, "I guess you're more powerful than you were giving yourself credit for." Perfect, perfect. <laughs> now, now, and I would take it a step farther. What you did was beautiful because you gave someone a chance to succeed. Here's the clarity. This is the expectation. These are the parameters. And, and I'm giving you what you need to thrive. And right. then to come back and say, look, look, because you, you challenged a belief. You couldn't do this. And now you're saying, look at what you just did. Congratulations. Then right. to follow that back up with, now tell me how you did that. Because what you'll find in that growth versus fixed mindset, 
for, for example, they give the example of a kid who's in a swim meet and he comes in third place with a fixed mindset parent. They look at the third places. That's as far as he's going to get because he, he can only right. work on the talent you have. And so they blame the, the swim meet itself. You know, we've never had a fair shot here. This place has always been biased against us. We've all, and they come up with the excuses. In the f- growth mindset, what will happen is the parent will say to the kid, third place, congratulations. Now you know how hard you have to work to get to second place. Mm. And so when you're saying, you, you, here, here's a challenge and you have 30 minutes to get that done, what you're saying is congratulations on doing a great job. But what you've done is to give them a pathway. And now to ask the question, tell me how you did that. Because when they come back and tell you how they did that, they've now told you their process. And to reward the process that leads to the outcome, not just that. the outcome. <laughs> and that's what you're doing for somebody. And so when I look at someone who is struggling to, um, to sell, adding more pressure to them without helping them understand what it is that they're not doing well, never makes it better. <laughs> and right. so when you look at what you're trying to do is you're trying to cl- create a clear expectation. You're trying to address those beliefs with a growth mindset that the person that we hired has a chance and they could develop into something if given a chance. And so what happens is that you've seen this with a teacher. Let's say it's a second grade class, a teacher with a fixed mindset. That teacher will intentionally or unintentionally already pick by day three who the good students will be and who the students who are going to be, a, who are going to be difficult to teach will be. And they've already decided it. Now, what can happen in companies is the same thing. A manager will determine too quickly, this is who can succeed, this is who will fail. And by doing so, they give them no room to grow because they've already decided who they are. And so with a growth mindset, not only do I think that way, I'm trying to get across to other people that they too can grow into what is needed to be able to succeed. So if I look at uh, someone in this industry who is trying to be successful in sales, there is a pathway to becoming great at your craft, but it's not going to happen immediately. It's going to take some time and it's going to take a lot of vigilance learning how, how you did what you did so that you can repeat the process. I love this conversation. <laughs> Good. <laughs> this is, this is such powerful stuff. Um, you, you know, but I, I, um, I've taken so many notes and I love just even adding to it, to, to what you just, to, to my experience, what you just added and the notes that I just took from that. And I think, man, DPB gang, if you are not paying attention, okay, if you're listening in the vehicle or on the treadmill, you got to circle back and you need to listen to this conversation uh, again when you're ready to take notes because, you, you know, um, there are a lot of things in here that plague so many organizations, but that have become pretty commonplace in the retail auto industry. Um, You know, probably one of the fixed beliefs, something that you just said that made me think of another one of these fixed beliefs that I've hired this new individual and we call them green peas or greenhorn or greenies. Mm Mm-hmm. They've never sold a vehicle before. Maybe they're brand new to the finance department or the parts department or whatever it might be. They're brand new hire. 
we immediately tend to discredit all of the wisdom and experience they've garnered in their life up to this point, hinged on the fact that that they are now limited in the value they can bring by this new role that they have not experienced yet. Yep. It's, it's a it's fixed like, mindset. Mm -hmm. What a disservice. No, I, I love what you're saying. And growing up around a coach, if you've been around coaches much, they're, they're all part psychologists, you know? And so I remember driving along in the truck one day and my dad, he would just say stuff and we're driving along. And he said, uh, he said, son, uh, you've got to be careful with those second last names. And I said, I said, I don't know what you're talking about. And he said, you know what I'm talking about? And he just says it louder. Second last names. And I said, I, I really don't know what you're talking about. And he said, uh, well, you, you know what I'm talking about. He said, it's like, you know, when you are talking to some people and you, and you, you leave the conversation and you're walking away, it's the description that they have of you. And he's kind of describing it. And I really didn't understand it. And it was a few years later, I was at an event and I'd been asked to speak. And so the way that it was set up is I was supposed to speak. Then as soon as I got done uh, from the, the presentation, I was supposed to go to the banquet hall where they had these long buffet lines set up. And then the buffet line, uh, they would have me at the end of it. And then I would uh, shake people's hands and, and greet them or whatever, which I thought was a bit awkward. Because you've got people filling up their plates and it's just weird. And so they could tell that I was, um, I was willing to do it, but it was just a little bit awkward. And, and so they said, well, we're going to help you out. And they said, there's this woman who's been a part of this place for nearly 40 years. And she knows everybody and everything about everybody. And this gathering was a lot of different organizations and people. And so she said, uh, so they brought her over and she had clearly been drafted for this. This was not something she wanted to do. <laughs> and so, uh, her job is she's going to stand directly behind me. And then when people come up, she's going to tell me who they are, which is a bit redundant, but okay. Uh, I'm a guest and happy to help. So right. I'm standing there and, and the first guy walks up and he has his plate full of food and he has a cup in his hand. Now he has to set that down to shake my hand because he feels obligated. And he reaches, he's about to reach uh, to shake my hand and she leans forward and she says, uh, this is Brian Lewis. He's a banker and he drinks a lot. And she says that to me right as I'm meeting this guy. And I'm, I'm shaking his hand thinking, does she just say he drinks a lot? <laughs> and I'm getting to know, you know, and the whole time I'm thinking this guy drinks a lot. And so uh, it's just a few seconds. He moves on. Next person comes up. She leans forward and does it again. She says, this is Je uh, Jesse Kidwell. And she said, um, he, he's an accountant. And he's been married four times, four times. Same thing. So when I'm getting to shake his hand, he's telling me who he is. I'm thinking this guy's been married a lot. Now, <laughs> what I'm really here. And, and so when she said that, I turned around and I said, hey, I appreciate you trying to help me. I really do. <laughs> I said, but I don't need to know their second last name. And that's what she was telling me. And so when you say, hey, this guy's brand new, this woman, she's brand new, she's a greenie, she's this, she's that, I've given them a second last name already. And dad would say, you got to be careful with those second last names, because what happens is that I've just altered someone's identity. And so when I say to them, you're not going to be successful by giving them that title, I also have to give them a pathway. One, you might not say that at all, but two, 
I have to give them a pathway that says, this is how I earn the right to be here. How, how do I earn it? And so it's not just some form of uh, workplace hazing. It is, I'm here to make a difference. I was talking to this guy in retail. He had two stores. He was struggling a bit. And I said, well, what's going on? Uh, you know, what's happening? And, and, and did, if you clarify the expectations and all that. And he said, um, he said, I said, it sounds like communication at some level. And he said, it, he said, it may be that. He said, my wife has told me I can't go to the store right now and talk to the, the team. She said, because our lawyer is not good enough for you to say what you're going to say if you go down there. So she would not let him go down there. And I said, well, tell me about your team. And she said, you know, the problem with the team is they're just a bunch of idiots. Every person I have on my team, they're just idiots. And I said, okay. So you're the leader, and, and you're the leader of these people. And so if they're all idiots, then you're the leader of which group again? <laughs> Be because here's the deal. Why would I knowingly hire people who I don't think can do the job? Yeah. Why would I knowingly hire people who I think are idiots? But if I give them that second last name, they will live up to what I, what I just said. And so if I see someone who is struggling, I've got to assist them. If I see someone who is thriving, I've got to ask them, tell me about your process. But as a leader, people continually underestimate the power they have of giving someone else a second last name. And it is brutal and it doesn't work. And so if you're going to give someone a second last name, give them one that they live up to versus one that's meant to put them in their place. Wow. Man, I am uh, I'm so grateful that you've taken the time to join me on the DPB podcast. And be, because of all of these insights, I think will help those listening shift their perspective. Maybe they're a leader. Maybe they're an employee. Maybe they're a team member. However they see themselves, however they fit in, this, this ability that each of us has to have an incredible positive impact. Um, I'm going to ask, how we can get in touch with you. And then I have one more question mm -hmm. that will be exclusive to my highly vetted DPB pro community. And so how can those listening get in touch with you? Would love to hear from you. If you'll go to strataleadership.com, S-T-R-A-T-A leadership.com, then you can learn more about what we do at Strata. And we love serving people. We provide executive coaching and training. Uh, all around the world. And, and we have a team that uh, cares deeply. And so we have the uh, academic side, but we also uh, have heart. And so we've worked with a number of dealerships over the years and would love to be able to serve you uh, and serve you well. We're based out of Oklahoma City, but we uh, can really work anywhere. And executive coaching can be done uh, remotely. And so you have a, a number of options, but, but bottom line, Make the decision to be that lifelong learner. And so if we can serve you, fantastic. If it's someone who's nearby, uh, fantastic. But uh, don't let yourself get caught in the trap of not being able to progress. Don't plateau. Choose not to plateau. Keep, keep growing. Love it. Thanks so much for joining me on the DPD. Thank you.